Hey there, welcome to Just Be Nominated, a podcast about movies that is distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter from multiple decades, who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. For this episode, we get right into it with the new Ghostbusters movie and explore some of the issues that franchise seems to keep having as well as take a look at King Richard, the new Oscar buzzy biopic about Venus and Serena Williams' father, starring Will Smith, that's in theaters and on HBO Max. At the end of this episode, you'll get to hear Bruce interview the legendary character actor Tim Blake Nelson, along with director Patsy Ponsorali, who have a new movie out called Old Henry. So in the spirit of that chat, we rounded up a few of Tim Blake Nelson's best roles in the staff picked section. You can find links to all the other movies that we talked about in the show notes, along with our social media info, etc., to see what we're up to and or contact us if you want to sound off in our DMs. If you like the show, please tell your movie-loving pals and let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. So many musicals this year. If you are a musical theater geek, you're getting your fill. And mm -hmm. West Side Story's coming at Christmas. So it's there's a lot. With, with everyone's favorite, Ansel Elgort. We love him, don't we, folks? We love we love our Ansel. He's great. Don't you we love anything? We love our Ansel Elgort. That is Jared McNett, who you are hearing uh, throwing shade at, at the old Elgort. And no, Bruce not at Miller. all. Never. He's a liar, too. You also <laughs> add that up. He's a big old liar. <laughs> He's the Sean Mendez of film. Everyone's throwing shade. Am I the only one who has zero problems with Ansel Elgort? I like him. I think he's a talented kid. I loved it. Wasn't he in My Baby Driver? Yes. The one true driver film? No, no. See? Poke the bear enough and you'll get him to respond. Representing the baby driver component, as always, is Bruce Miller. And I am Chris Lay out here in Madison, Wisconsin. With Jared went to see Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters colon afterlife. Afterlife, get it right. Yeah. This is the fourth Ghostbusters movie. The... Yes. Third, I guess, that actually follows the original trajectory of the films. This is directed by Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman's son, Ivan Reitman, who directed the first two movies. There's also a game that follows the trajectory of the, uh, the earlier movies, too, I should add. There have been multiple comic book series as well that follow, uh, I think, a, a branch of continuity. So this is Ghostbusters, obviously, is a, a bit of intellectual property that has been flogged to varying degrees of success. Obviously, Paul Feig's version a few years ago sort of fell on its face, mainly just because it was, I felt, kind of a remake of the first film. But neither here nor there. Ghostbusters Afterlife obviously carves a whole new new path. A Stranger Things kind of vibe. Well, let's let, uh, I'll let Jared jump in there because of the three of us, I think he's the only one who's seen it, correct, Bruce? You are correct, sir. So in, in 2018, I went and saw uh, Ready Player One 
And after that, I thought that that was the worst and most soulless uh, example of a somewhat talented or very talented director, like doing a horrible job of reckoning with stuff from their past until I went and saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. Like, it, it, I, I really did not find a lot to like about the movie at all. And it didn't seem like the audience did a lot of the time either. The, the theater was actually pretty full. And like the first real joke in like the whole movie got two chuckles in the whole crowd of like 30 or 40 people. There was another joke that was a fracking joke because they're in Oklahoma for this movie that got no laughs. And like the biggest laugh of the entire movie was like something that was in the trailer with the uh, little mini marshmallow Stay Puff guys coming to life. So not a lot of chuckles, not, nothing in it was scary, not that you necessarily go to Ghostbusters for that. And the action stuff in it was just like completely forgettable too. And I, I was not at all interested. They wasted Paul Rudd. They wasted Carrie Coon. They wasted uh, Finn Wolfhard. And like Bruce said, like this doesn't even feel like a Ghostbusters movie as much as it does a adaptation of Stranger Things, which is just a you know pastiche of Ghostbusters. It's like filtered down Ghostbusters from like other stuff that has been influenced by Ghostbusters. How much are the original people in it? Are they just shot at the end in the credits or something? I don't want to say too much, but like the nostalgia that this movie ends up like lacing into the movie is at first really bad and then it adds another layer that i actually was offended by <laughs> like i i literally like in in the theater like groaned once they like added another layer of like nostalgia and like a tip of the cap to the past it was completely unnecessary i don't i still don't know why they needed to to make this movie and this whole thing about like ghostbusters being about like family or whatever that Jason Reitman has been trying to say. It's a movie where the first one has Dan Aykroyd having sex with a ghost. It's not movies about family or, or whatever the hell else <laughs> like you want to try to frame it as. So are they in it more than just a few minutes or are they? Yeah, they're, they're in it for a few minutes. And honestly, they got off better jokes than anyone else in the movie and they're barely in it at all, which again, also is not a great, like, doesn't say a lot about the quality of the comedic writing in the movie when, like, the best jokes you get are near the end with, like, people that are barely in the movie otherwise. You notice how it got swept under the rug, too. I mean, Paul Rudd got Sexiest Man Alive. They should have been playing off this sucker like crazy and, and saying, oh, we've got the Sexiest Man Alive on our film and... Yeah, I, I don't remember anything Paul Rudd says in the entire movie. He's like, and he's gone for stretches. So is Finn Wolfhard too. Finn Wolfhard in particular was really wasted in the, the movie. Like he's gone for long stretches and when he is doing stuff, it's completely forgettable. And then, yeah, like I said too, Carrie Coon is also completely wasted as the, the mom in the movie. So as the three of us maybe represent a little bit of a, a jaded... <laughs> contingent when it comes to looking back at pop culture that's being reheated and you know served to us do you get any sort of a sense that someone who's coming into the franchise and being introduced to the ghostbusters and the concept as you know a younger maybe more innocent i suppose approach that they're going to get anything out of this no 
Not at all. And uh, I'll tell you part of the reason why is like when I was and you know because by the end of the movie I. I, I was completely done. It was glad that the movie was over, but I still wanted to be fair and like pay attention to how other people were kind of reacting, you know, as they were, you know, filing out and everything. There was not that much energy after the movie. And like, even other movies that I didn't like, I, I definitely noticed like if the audience, you know, was like, feel kind of, you know, electric after they were leaving and they at least enjoyed it. And I didn't really get a good sense of that with people that were leaving after this movie when I only saw it last night. And again, there was probably about 40 people in the, the screening that I saw. Well then, I think we've appropriately buried Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> it's so frustrating. And I know that I've, I've gone on record with this in the past, but it's such a, a rich, it's a rich collection of possibilities within the world of Ghostbusters where they could go. It definitely seems like this is the first one that's kind of branching out a little bit into this future that's, out there i don't know i just the idea of a world that has been forced to confront physical manifestations of ghosts <laughs> thus the afterlife and all of the fallout from from those conceptual aspects that are being impressed upon this reality and then it just, it just seems like it gets kind of pushed under the rug in a way that is weird I should also add, uh, keeping up with our uh, Eternal spot from, was that just last week? Second movie this month, second big budget movie this month, that for some reason shoehorned in a Hiroshima reference. So that was good. Oh, no. To have that pop up in Ghostbusters. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. At, at one point in the movie, they're talking about like different, like big, like earth shaking events, like in the past however many years. Because, like, Paul Rudd's character is a seismologist and, like, uh, uh, Harold Ramis' character, who's, you know, the the, the granddad, uh, Egon, uh, was, like, tracking these, like, disruptions in Oklahoma. And it has these different dates. And one of them is, you know, for Krakatoa. And another one is for the uh, Tunguska event that happened in, you know, Russia in the early 1900s. And then another one of the dates on this wall is 1945. And, they, and for that one, they just go... And we know what happened that year. A lot happened that year. And like, then they just moved past that to 2021. So I don't know why there's been two movies this month now that felt like they needed to mention uh, the dropping of the atomic bomb. But yeah, that was in Ghostbusters Afterlife also. If Hollywood can learn anything from the month of November 2021, I think retconning Hiroshima into anything is box office poison. I think that's the, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife, thumbs down. I should also say too, and I'm, I'm being totally candid. I don't know if I would have went and seen this if I didn't have the like, AMC A-list, like Stubbs thing where I can just go see three movies a week. I don't know if I would have even <laughs> paid to go see this or not. So there you go. <laughs> but I mean, clearly there are people that went and saw it. Oh yeah, no, it's gonna it's gonna be number one at the box office. Like that that much is clear from just going and seeing it last night. The fact that there were that many people there on a Thursday night, yeah, it's it's gonna do well at the box office, at least this weekend. But then, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it had a pretty steep decline after the first week. I mean, it does seem like the the critical consensus so far, uh, with with now your your two cents being added to the to the the tally, uh, is that this is not good. It's again the divorced dad film of the holiday season where dad has to take the kids to something. So, hey, I like Ghostbusters back in the day. 
kids, let's go to Ghostbusters. It's not like, you know, they're going to, I can't take the kid to an R-rated thing, which probably is be what I'd watch. And the kid doesn't really want to go to one of the cartoony things. So they think it's a little more adult. Oh yeah, Ghostbusters, let's do that, dad. That'd be good. And then you get there and you think, oh geez, we both made a mistake. So there you are. But there are big movies, big things that are coming out for the holiday week. So I think, you know, choose wisely and choose well mm -hmm. because you have a, a lot of opportunities, lots of big Oscar potential um, just waiting in the wings. King Richard opens. That's the story of Serena and Venus Williams and their dad, who was, you know, determined. And de determined is the most generous way to describe. Yeah. It gives Will Smith a chance for redemption. And I think that's a good thing. That's in theaters. And it also hit HBO Max. It's one of the, I think there's only a couple more that are going to be hitting uh, HBO Max day and date. I watched it this morning, King Richard, and Will Smith is, is a bit of a shoe-in for an Oscar nomination and will probably be a front-runner. He is really good, and his performance is pretty dynamic, and definitely, I don't know the actual truth about it, so I don't know to what degree he's presenting the warts and all presentation, but he definitely makes... Richard Williams into not a despicable character, but he, he doesn't shy away from showing how driven he is. And uh, I mean, borderline, I don't know about the clinical ramifications of saying psychotic, but I mean, he is definitely a, he's pathological in, in the way that he approaches the, the, the training of his children. But it's also with tennis, that's, that's how it has to be. I mean, tennis is, is one of those sports where you have to, you know, get your kids into it before they necessarily are able to comprehend the, the actual emotional complexities of the sport that they're getting into for them to have a chance. In terms of sports to get invested in, that's a lonely, lonely sport to get like invested in as a person. <laughs> yeah. And it's one where, I mean, part of it is kind of fascinating because the the sport itself, so much of it is psychological. I mean, once you get above a, a certain level professionally, it really is just these slight edges that anybody has over anybody else. And so much of that is going to be in your head. It's going to be in how you handle putting individual mistakes behind you. And uh, I mean, it's a, it, it's, it's a, just a crazy sport that uh, is presented pretty well here. Uh, this is this movie's all about Will Smith, pretty much. You get a certain amount of the, you know, Venus and Serena Williams story in there, but it's very much about him and the uphill battle that he had within the the tennis industry, I guess. I think the Academy's wanted to give him an Oscar for a while. He got nominated in 2002 for Ali. He lost to Denzel Washington in Training Day. Which he probably should have won for, even though Denzel was great in Training Day. I don't know how you don't give it to Denzel in the in the context of 2002 uh, and that that movie year. And then he was nominated in 2007 for The Pursuit of Happiness, which I was not a huge fan of. But I don't know, that's maybe more me just kind of not really connecting with that film. Uh, and and he lost in 2007 to Forrest Whitaker, 
for the last king of Scotland. And he's got about as good a chance as anybody, I think, at this point to be within the the top. And I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head who could possibly take it away from him. So we'll see. And like he's he's tried to like chase with like other dramatic stuff, obviously, since Pursuit of Happiness with like uh seven pounds or concussion, but you know, both of those fell pretty flat and didn't really get a lot of love at all because they just were not good movies. So it's good to see him actually trying and that he's actually trying in a movie that sounds like it's actually pretty solid. Yeah. And it's a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good film. I think the, the supporting cast is really tremendous as well. I think this will fall in the same category as the eyes of Tammy Faye, where they're going he's going to be on the bubble. I don't think it's a, a slam dunk for him. I do think he will be nominated, but I don't think it's a slam dunk because you've got Benedict Cumberbatch coming in with his big thing. You got Joaquin Phoenix back. I think there are a number of those, those ones that, you know, are, are like Meryl Streep where you just check them off and say, well, they're nominated. They're in. And I think he's got to do a little selling to be able to, to stay in that top five. One thing that I would keep my eye on with this is John Bernthal who plays uh, the coach, Rick Macy. He's really great. And obviously John Bernthal is, has been really great. Yeah, absolutely. Another uh, baby driver alum. Obviously I thought that he should have been nominated for Ford versus Ferrari as a supporting actor for Lee Iacocca, but you know, the Academy doesn't really listen to me for potentially good reason, but it's, it's really, it's Will Smith. who just kind of runs away with it. You were going to say something, Jared, I didn't mean to step on you. No, I, I was going to say, uh, you know, Bruce was talking about Will Smith is going to need to do some selling if he wants to be on that uh, inner circle for uh, Oscar nominees. And if anybody's capable of selling and promoting themselves, it's definitely Will Smith. So, <laughs> Absolutely. That's the other thing is he is perfectly capable of glad handing and charming his way into any number of uh, Academy voters hearts. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason he was this big at the box office as he was for so long. He right now has an autobiography out on the stands, too. So he's like a politician where you you use the book to get yourself in the door and then you pitch for what you want after that. So, uh, yeah, don't look at it. Don't don't ignore him. But I don't know that he will win it. And I, I think this is also one of the ones where for him to be selling himself as a Oscar contender is it, it, it's very much in character of King Richard, someone who is, is described as a huckster by multiple people in the film and accurately so in a way, other than the fact, I mean, he's not really selling snake oil. He's selling legitimately two of the, the greatest athletes uh, full stop to, to have ever played this game, much, much less any other. You can still be a huckster though and actually have a product to offer. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things that's also going to stand out with this role is that it's on HBO Max, which a lot of people have, or a lot of people are using their parents' logins or whatever else to, to, to get access to. So it's going to be widely available and especially heading into Thanksgiving week where people are going to be at home with their parents. This is a, a pretty good film to watch with, with parents and family and children. And it's going to definitely resonate for a lot of people. So I could see uh, the next two weeks certainly having a pretty immediate tail to it um, where it's going to 
make a big effect on a lot of folks. And I know, uh, Bruce, you mentioned the power of the dog, right? Which is Benedict Cumberbatch's, you know, potential Oscar front runner. And that's another one that's coming out in a few weeks and that'll be on Netflix, which will also have a pretty broad audience as well. So, and they sell, they sell these things. Like you can't believe. Yep. Whereas to kind of change gears a little bit, you also mentioned Joaquin Phoenix, who has a new movie that is out uh, this week called Come On, Come On, the new Mike Mills movie, uh, which is put out by A24. Uh, It's filmed in black and white. It's about a documentary filmmaker played by Joaquin Phoenix. And it's very much about family and growing up. It seems like it's a much more smaller film, I think, than maybe Joaquin Phoenix has made in the in the recent past that's one where it's it's not screening anywhere where i live i don't know when it's going to be in theaters i don't know when it's going to be available for vod um and it's it's harder to see even though it's certainly in the conversation of those movies but part of it is just you know with us not being academy voters i mean i'm i'm not getting screeners for it i'm I'm assuming at bruce at some point you'll you know a a blu-ray is going to end up in your in your mailbox a link there'll be a link another one that's coming out next week belfast and the little kid in belfast is one you can't overlook he owns that film and they love to throw a kid in a race and there you are jude hill is his name look for him he is a charmer i spent a half hour with the cast of belfast and you could just see how they were all just enamored with him so uh I think that little boy has a real shot at best actor. And that's another one where the, the rollout has not been very specifically targeted. There isn't one like Belfast is coming out this week. Go see it. It is kind of rolling out very slowly in theaters. And I think everyone's just kind of been conditioned by COVID sort of wait until things are home or, you know, smaller independent films like that. But then you got the House of Gucci that'll be coming, and that's going to be a big thing. You'll be looking for the Gucci. Very excited about the House of Gucci. I hear it's, I have not seen it. I hear it's just all over the map. It's I'm, campy, I'm good with that. it's goofy, it's, yeah. Even though they wanted it to look like it was the Godfather, I think it could be fun. It could be that one where you go, oh my God, that's so good. We must see this. I'm glad that there uh, is a movie that decided to bravely ask the question, uh, what if Lady Gaga played the most Italian person ever? With apparently a Russian accent. (laughs) That she can't shake. I know her her accent has been popping up in, in a lot of interviews as of late, and she stayed in character on and off set when they were filming. Isn't that the thing? You just love that when they do that. It's just, oh, I just live the role. I, you know, the minute I got up, it's like Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm going to be a cobbler for a year. Okay, go ahead. See what happens. Make me a pair of shoes, size nine and a half. You know, I mean, really. And the old Leonardo DiCaprio, didn't he spend some time inside a, some old cowhide or something and try to pretend like he was the revenant? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Do that, kids. I'm fine with that. I'll be ha- sitting over here having my my lunch in the afternoon while you're you're living the life. So one of the main, like, and more believable ones of those is like 
for taxi driver De Niro actually like drove a taxi around at night for a while. That one I can actually believe because that that one's not that outrageous or like lofty of a, a thing to do to get into a character to just drive around a taxi cab. Yeah, but when you have to address the people as the the character's name and act like they are them, oh please, yeah, you know, we don't need that. So I hope she's good in it. I hope she just brings it. She can also let all that down, and maybe that's she's just testing this this part of her her stardom. So it'll be good though. I I want to see it. And Jared Leto with a bald cap that's kind of interesting. Interesting. Sure, that's a that's a word. And then, yeah, interesting is the word. Yeah, and then, hoo ha! We got Al Pacino in there, so it's the the mixed bag of tricks right there. So that's all the stuff that's coming up over the the holidays that you should look for. Other than I know uh, Bruce, you talked about it last week, but Tick Tick Boom is finally on Netflix. That's out today. If you're a theater nerd, you gotta see it. You just gotta see it because it has so many of those Broadway people just slipping through in and out of things. And I think Andrew Garfield is, he could be a contender. And I'm not just saying that because it's coming out. He really is good. And I buy him as Jonathan Larson. You know, having been a rant head, I looked at that and and thought, what would Jonathan Larson really be like? Would he be kind of really goofy? And this gave me a sense of, yeah, I guess this could be the guy. This could be what he was like. And he sings, he dances, he does all these things. It's it's pretty amazing. But again, you know, that could get plowed under by all of the Lin-Manuel Miranda stuff. He's got more damn movies this year than anybody you can think of. And he could have every best song nominee if you really wanted it, because we've got Vivo, we've got In the Heights, we've got Encante. We've got tick, tick, boom. I mean, it's like, you really want that badly, don't you? And then finally, Diane Warren will come in and win it. I know we were talking a little bit ago about kind of slow rollouts of things. And there definitely was a time where that was sort of the normal way of, you know, things being out for a while and building word of mouth steam. I know uh, we've talked about it for the past few weeks, but as each of us have seen it, Jared, you also saw the French Dispatch, which is still in theaters. I went and saw it last Friday, and there there were parts of it I really liked a lot. the um, The main thing that I kind of found myself frustrated by was that, and and I get why it needed to be this way a little bit because of the fact that it was an anthology, and so you have to get these different stories in. I kind of wish it had slowed down in certain spots and just like sort of dwelled on some of the the beats a little bit more especially the second story with like the the student uh protests and stuff i thought that one was really good and i would have been completely happy to spend more time in that story than they did and the same thing too with i i think the the best part in the whole movie is near the very end of the the last story the the jeffrey wright one the kind of conversation that him and bill murray have about what got left out of the story and again, I sort of wish that they had just lived in that moment even a little bit longer because I think sometimes, and it's it's one of the things I find myself frustrated by with Wes Anderson movies, even though I do like a lot of his movies very much, is that, I don't know, sometimes it feels like they're rushing through things. And that felt even more the case in, in an anthology type movie like this. So I am to a certain degree waiting for the inevitable criterion release of this uh, before I 
before I throw money down on it, which I presume will have some really interesting additional tidbits in the commentary and maybe even an extended cut, maybe, or extended versions of the scenes that you can check out as bonus features. But yeah, I agree. The The first sequence with the artist played by Benicio del Toro, I would have watched a 12 episode TV series about that guy, hands down. What that thing though does bring up is how many directors are looking at black and white because that has a black and white segment in it. Come on, come on. Belfast has it. Um, there are a number of them this year that are, are looking at black and white. Yeah, are looking at black and white as a viable alternative to just seeing color all the time. And I think you do, it does attract attention. It does give you a different mood, a different vibe. And um, yeah, I, I would love to see, again, I love the artist. So if you guys are like bad, not artist fans, I love the idea of a silent film coming back in black and white. I love it. And I, I could see somebody doing that again. So definitely uh, the uh, going the, the black and white route is a good uh, cheat code too, in terms of just like people taking your movie a little bit more seriously because, because it just happens so rarely now that people take notice. Look at, um, if you go back to the sixties, when who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, Mike Nichols had to do it in black and white because Elizabeth Taylor wasn't old enough really to be this shrewish kind of woman. And so he said, if we left her in color, she would look just absurd. So they had to do it in black and white. And I think that was a very good, you know, call in terms of, of shooting something different. So it did give you a different look, a different vibe. And certainly that's such an intense film that it needed it. But I like black and white. I really do. Maybe it's, you guys didn't grow up with black and white. You didn't have black and white TV, but you know, the question always is, do you dream in black and white? And I think that's a question you can't ask for uh, uh, people of a certain era because they've never seen really black and white. I don't know. I grew up in the, the peak era of Nick at Night. So I certainly was well acquainted with, you know, Mon Pa Kettle. <laughs> yeah, well, in the early days of like television, everything was black and white because we didn't have anything but black and white sets. So you didn't, like when you saw something that was in color, I remember first seeing the Munsters in color when they did a film. And I thought, oh my God, I didn't realize they were that color. I had a different thought in mind of what color they might be. And so I think if you've never really had that as a steady diet, you don't consider it. So yay, black and white, go black and white. So for the staff pick section, the interview, that we've got that'll be tagged on is Bruce talking with Tim Blake Nelson about his new film, Old Henry. I think that is the director in with it too, Patsy Pazzarola. He um, is a very old school kind of director and that is a real uh, hark back to some of the old Westerns. And when you see it, you'll, you'll realize that, uh, yeah, this is, this is like, I could see any number of people in, Henry Fonda could have done it. James Stewart could have done it. A number of people like that who, who really thrived in, um, in uh, Westerns. And I, that's a throwback as well. So that'll be the interview uh, we'll be putting onto the tail end of this episode. But in honor of that, we were going to look at some of Tim Blake Nelson's best roles and kind of pick, pick some of our favorites, of which there's, there's a pretty, pretty reasonable amount. The one that I had, and it's not 
necessarily even entirely because of, of Tim Blake Nelson, although he's really good in it. It's just a movie that I have to love that he's in and does good work in. And that's Minority Report, which I mentioned um, Spielberg at the very top of this with a very bad movie that he did with Ready Player One. But I think Minority Report is is one of his absolute best movies. And it's definitely one of my favorite sci-fi movies. It's also one of the better showcases for, for Tom Cruise, the, the story, which obviously is based off of, um, you know, Philip K. Dick story is super compelling and has a lot of really good questions to ask about, you know, free will versus like, you know, determinism and that sort of thing. And I think I even played the minority report game. It was, it was a very crappy game uh, on PlayStation two. The, the quality was not good. The graphics were bad. Uh, it was one of those just really bad, you know, like movie ports that they did for a while in the 2000s. But I even enjoyed playing that. So I'm, I'm a big uh, Minority Report fan. And uh, Tim Blake Nelson is solid in that. So I have to go with the Coen Brothers things that he's done because he is such a typical Coen Brothers character. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. He's like quintessential he should have been in Fargo if there would have been a way to slip him into Fargo maybe in that extra director's cut he could be in there somewhere too but he's he's so necessary in films because he's that kind of normal oddball that you find in many films and he'll never go hungry he will work forever because he has that kind of face that's memorable but you're not quite able to pinpoint it to one thing in particular. And that's what I love. And, you know, and this, they're really trying to push him as a leading actor with this. And I'm sure it's, he's fine with whatever. He doesn't care. It's really hard with, um, oh, Brother Where Art Thou to even pick who the best in that movie is because I, they're all like firing on all cylinders, even like Goodman popping up in a pretty small. Uh, role ultimately but I do think Tim Blake Nelson's character has some of the lines in that movie that make me laugh the hardest and like you said Bruce he is just an absolute perfect fit in the Coen Brothers world as is John Turturro like both of those guys seem like they were just made in a lab to be in in Coen Brothers movies and I'd be happy for them to show up in every like uh, Coen Brother uh, movie going forward too. And he's got so many films this year coming out. This is like just the tip of the iceberg. He's in that big um, Bradley Cooper thing, Nightmare Alley. That'll be huge. He's in National Champions. That'll be big. He's coming up in Pinocchio, The Long Home. I mean, it's just, you name it. He's working like Meryl Streep. That's how busy he is. But I like him because he's a nice guy. He, he can play really interesting characters that you wouldn't expect him in the role. Watchmen was a really good series because of him. And um, I think this is just another, another color in his box. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to name one of the Coen brothers movies as well. And I mean, the ballad of Buster, Shru Buster Scruggs and Oh Brother definitely showcase two very distinct you know gears that he's got but he's he has a, a real range i mean in in oh brother it's this over the top kind of rubbery character and in ballad of buster scruggs it is a very straight-faced overly sincere kind of goofball um but without the the goofiness to a degree i mean it's it's a little goofy but it's not necessarily 
Um, and, and the slapstick that he delivers in Buster Scruggs is so straightforward. You know, there's not really any kind of wink to it. And yeah, Bruce, you mentioned Watchmen where he has this, this whole different element to his personality that comes out. And yeah, he's a, just a fantastic actor. I mean, it's, yeah. He talks about that in the interview. He talks about, um, you know, going to, he was in Ju- at Juilliard and he thought he would never make films. He said, I, I have a face for theater and that's what I would be doing. So listen, you'll hear, he, he's very, very self-effacing about his career and how, how well he's actually done. Yeah, we've got the interview that Bruce did with Tim Blake Nelson coming up. I don't know if you want to give a little bit more of an intro on the, the film itself. I don't know. Um... I don't want to spill anything because it does have one of those big kind of reveals. So you just know that there's a surprise coming in the film. Don't talk to anybody about what that surprise might be because that will ruin it for you. But it is very, very clever. And I think that's where the director comes in. And he, to get the, the, the film going, he saw this place that he just thought would be a great spot to film. And then he wrote the film. And then there's this very neat kind of um, surprise that you go, oh, okay, yeah. Why wasn't I thinking in that direction? He has a, a nice relationship with the young boy who plays his son as well. And um, you'll see Trace Adkins, country singer Trace Adkins is in the film. And they all, are, they live on this kind of, you know, out there in Nowhereville uh, farm where suddenly a guy comes, he's been hurt. He's got a big bag of money and he wants help. And he's wearing a badge. And is he the sheriff? Is that what happened? Or are three guys who come in and say they're the sheriff and they're looking for this guy, are they the good guys? And so he's got to really kind of trust his instincts and decide who's who's playing here, who's who's the liar and who's the truth teller. And he's just trying to defend his home, his family, and his son. Old Henry. There's been enough uh, movies at this point that, like, if you ever come across a bag of money or someone shows up with a bag of money that you don't know, you need to just, like, run in the other direction as fast as you can. Because nothing good is about to happen whenever your bags of money just show up out of the blue. <laughs> well, but, you know, look at now with a Western, you can't call somebody on your cell phone and say... I need some help here. Could you please send somebody? You just had the bag of money and a near dying body. So what do you do? I would take the money and run personally and just make sure I didn't go to any place where they could trace the money. You said, uh, you said Trace Atkins is in it. Does he do like a, a stripped down version of a honky tonk, but donk donk Yeah. Maybe strumming on an acoustic guitar. But you get that voice. He's good as a farmer. He's coming up in a new TV series as well with Susan Sarandon. So if you happen to watch the Country Music Awards, they were together and you thought, is this a new couple? No, it's not a new couple. They're just starring together on, I think it's called Magnolia. Um, that's coming to TV this next, next year. Yeah, so stick around for the interview that Bruce has got with Tim Blake Nelson and definitely go and check out any of the other movies that we mentioned that that he is in that are out there uh, let us know if we if we screwed up if there's any that you <laughs> would have added to the list if you're any big uh you know holes fans out there that you know feel like we were criminal and leaving that off our list please let us know in the uh in the comments 
reviews, et cetera, whatever. But I'll throw to Jared to take us out. There was news this week that Martin Scorsese is going to be doing a Grateful Dead movie where Jonah Hill is going to be uh, Jerry Garcia. So that got me thinking that um, if you find yourself here, it's, it's 1977. You've just taken two tabs of acid because you think you're about to go to a Grateful Dead show. Um, instead, you get a phone call from your friend uh, informing you that uh, they lost the tickets. So you're not going to be going to that Grateful Dead show. So now you need to find a different way to spend the next five hours uh, of your day. So what you need to do instead is you need to walk, not, not drive. I'm, I'm not recommending you drive under those uh, circumstances. You need to walk to your local uh, Cineplex and uh, go see something good. Go see something good. Well, that's it for us, but here is the interview that Bruce did recently with Tim Blake Nelson and director Patsy Ponsorale. Tim, were you born in the wrong era? Well, yeah, I have a face for radio. Um, <laughs> so do I. No, you're a good-looking man, and you're in the. Are you in the newsroom there? I'm in the newsroom. Yes. Oh my God, that's you just the lights. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you you do so well in westerns. What is that? What is that connection? Well, I grew up in Oklahoma. That helps, and and I actually do think that I have a, a you know a a uh, antediluvian face. <laughs> uh, which helps uh, you're not going to mistake me for uh, you know I'm not a refined modern looking fellow I've got the you know space between the teeth and all this stuff that uh, so I just think I have a a face that works and and thankfully there are directors out there who um, who want that in their movies and that's been very lucky for me and it was completely unexpected I didn't Looking in the mirror, or even when I was in drama school, I, I never imagined I would have a career in film. I thought I'd only work in theater. But thanks to guys like Patsy, um, I get to play interesting roles in movies. Well, Patsy, Westerns are not things that people talk about. In fact, you could take this story and actually make it a space film, really. So what made you think, yeah, we're going to try, we're going to do Westerns again, and we're going to make them popular? <laughs> I, I don't think we ever set out to to bring it back or to, you know, I think it, it was just really just, what is a story that, you know, like you're saying, can be put in any genre. It really comes down to what is the story and what is that, you know, what are you trying to tell? And in this, it's, it's a story of redemption. It's a father son story. It's a, a story of, of trust and, and knowing who you can trust. And so, um, you know, setting it in this Western wrapping is, is, uh, it was not intentional. It was not, uh, we, we didn't, I don't think we set out to, to reinvent, <laughs> reinvent the genre. But. You know, it looked like it was a perfect pandemic film because everybody was keeping distance all the time, you know, and you think, hey, this works. We could do more of these. Yeah, I mean, we shot this in the, uh, almost a year ago in November, December um, at the height of COVID. And so it was a very contained film and um, we had a decent sized crew, but it was, you know, keeping keeping departments separate and keeping us all. And luckily a lot of it was outside, but you know, at times when we were inside, it, it's a pretty small cabin and uh, you know, trying to navigate the COVID of it and deal with, you know, direct with a mask and a glossy face shield is, is uh, it's a little pleasant. hard. No, not the easiest <laughs> thing, right? 
Tim, how did you bond with Gavin? How did that kind of come about? Because it is a great relationship. It helped that, I, you know, he looked at me as this grizzled old character actor, <laughs> um, you know, and sometimes he wanted to listen to me and probably at other times he wished I would just leave him the <laughs> alone. Um, uh, but, um, I, you know, I, I think that there was a natural affinity between our relationship off screen and our relationship on screen. I, I never hectored him and I actually don't think I ever got on his nerves. We had a great relationship, but the, just, I think the disparity between, you know, my experience as an actor who's been doing this for uh, three decades now and, and his relative youth as an actor, although he's pretty, he's got quite a career going, um, that lent itself uh, to the on-screen relationship. And then I had, you know, my own son, uh, uh, Henry Nelson, um, was working in the art department on the movies, the onset. Ah. So he was always around. Um, and, uh, and that was great for me, just to, to have that relationship right on set. Patsy, some of the angles that I see in this film are just incredible. When you're very down low with everything, I love that. Was that just a spur of the moment kind of concept or did you say, no, I really want to see it from that angle? I'd say, you know, going into this, uh, my DP, John Matyshek, we, we spent weeks and weeks on set. Um, and thankfully we had time to just walking through every scene and shot listing everything and, and really just kind of coming up with, you know, inside was very tight and contained. So we had to shoot from room to room and wanted to feel that, that closeness. And then outside, of course, you know, it's a Western, you need the vistas and the, um, but I think when it came down to it, there's always some creativity that you have to leave room for. So I'd say 85% of it was shot listed and, and there'd be moments where, you know, uh, John Matichek was standing, he was standing in a corner talking to me and there was a, the painting on the wall with the beveled glass. And he was like, oh man, look at this. And I came over and looked and he's like, oh, we, we should do this shot. Like this should be one of our shots. So you have to, you know, it's fun to have that, those moments of creativity that, that present themselves, you know, in, in those moments. And, and the Tim, now when we hear all this, this talk about awards, what does that do for you? Do you say, oh God, yes, this is it. This is the one. Or do you just pull back from that? Well, uh, you know, it, it, there's something very easy about it for me um, because we're such a small film uh, and everything feels remarkable at this point. And so, there are really no expectations. Uh, already, we're so way beyond what we imagined would happen for this film. If it gets awards, that would be amazing. If it doesn't, we're already so far ahead. And frankly, um, I felt that way the day we wrapped, just getting to play the part. Uh, so it's all good. It's an amazing mix. The two of you are just... He's really good with this. I, I was very thrilled with the whole thing. So thank you so much. Good luck. Thank and um, watch where you go next time when you're touring around looking for places to spot a movie because you never know what you'll find. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Bruce. So that is the end of the episode. Uh, we are taking next week off. Happy Thanksgiving to those who celebrate. But make sure that you're subscribed so you won't miss out on all the fun stuff that we've got coming up in our next episode, including House of Gucci, and the power of the dog, among others. 
You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope you enjoyed the show and are taking very good care of yourselves out there. As always, thank you so much for listening. I will be found. I will be found. Is that from Tick, Tick, Boom? No, that's from Dear Evan Hansen.